0: First Kings, Chapter Two. And um, I titled that sermon, "The Last Instruction, or the Last Words of King David." And I would say, you know, as I was singing over there, I was, I was thinking this, uh, these words that King Solomon is ready to receive from his dad. you know, it was uh, words to a young man, but also I think that these words that we receive today is for the tire, for the people that are struggling. For the people, that are old in the Lord; those that are young in the Lord, and um, the, the, He will just, you know, teach us. So, th- that's the title: the last words and instructions for us, all in the Lord, young in the Lord, tired, uh, in trouble, in tribulation. We need these words. First um, uh, uh, Samuel, first king. Excuse me, first king, chapter two. Before we get into uh, verse one to verse four, I just want to just talk about the background. Um, one of the sons of King David, his name was Adonijah, he rebelled against his dad, and he proclaimed himself uh, you know, to be the king, and he took that decision in his own hands. He grabbed the commander named Joab and Abiathar, the priest, and he persuaded him to make him a king. They went secretly without telling the King David and, and, and Solomon to, uh, to proclaim him to be king, and he became a king in the mountains. He did it in an unlawful way without the blessing of the Lord. Then uh, the prophet Nathan and Bathsheba came to the king and told, and told him, if you do not stop this rebellion, Adonijah, when he take over the country, he's going to come and kill you, kill Bathsheba, kill your son, and you need to do something about it. So we know the king David was an old man. And the Bible says in in 1 Kings 1 that he was really cold. He was having chills. He was having a hard time sleeping because he was really cold. He was really old. But the prophet Nathan encouraged him to wake up and take a decision and make King Solomon, I mean Solomon the king. He reminded him, the prophet Nathan reminded David that he had promised uh, to Bathsheba that uh, Solomon was going to be the, the next king of Israel. And also Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet remind King David that God said it. He gave that command to King David. I want you, King, your son Solomon to be the next king of Israel. So it was it was already ordered by the Lord. So King David woke up of his slumber, of his uh, being tired and sleepy and chills, and he's like, I'm gonna do something about it. And David. Took Solomon and proclaimed him. He anointed him with oil, and he gave him his own Mule, his own Donkey, and he went down, the, down, the, you know, the, the um, you know, up the city, and everybody, you know, uh, you know, shout for him, and he. They said, uh, "The King Solomon live forever." And he became a king in the right way. He became a king uh, in, in the way that God prescribed, not the way of Adonijah, which was rebellion. So. King Solomon became the, sec, uh, the third king of Israel, but it wasn't time of turmoil. I mean, not only he was a young guy, he came as, uh, to be the third king of Israel when there were enemies inside the country and outside. He was scared to be killed. He was scared that Adonijah was going to kill his dad. So he became a king, and it wasn't the, it wasn't the easy thing. I, I taught this lesson uh, to the youth group, um, I think like a couple of weeks ago, and I asked this question as an introduction, kind of like an icebreaker at the same time. And I asked them, hey, what would you say if you had the chance to speak the last words with those that you love, with the people that you care, and the youth are funny, and, and they say weird things, you know? Some of the kids said, the money is in the, uh, uh, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> Some other kids said this, and let's see if you can get this. One other kid said, the money is in the cat. So you have to kill the cat and open it and get it. So, <laughs> so that's what, those, those kids are crazy. Uh, some of the kids, you know, some of those kids answer, you know, in a godly way. And they say, I will share the gospel and a good thing. But what would you say if you had the opportunity to, to speak the last word to somebody? Would you, like, say something like, water the flowers, you know? Keep my, my picture and the mantle of, and, you know? Or what would you do? Or would you encourage them to walk with God? So... I, I'm not saying that some of you guys are going to die or if it's our last day, but today we have to speak good words to those that we love. Let's read verse 1 to verse 4, and let's see what the, um, the Scripture talks about, about uh, those last words of David. Verse 1 and verse 4. Now the days of David drew near that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the earth. Be strong. Therefore, Prove yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his judgments, and his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses that you might prosper in all that you do and whatever you turn. That the Lord might fulfill his word which he has spoke concerning me, saying, If your son take heed to the, their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, he said, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Uh, so right there, four verses, he said, said a couple of things, but in reality, he told him, King David told a lot of stuff to this young man. The first thing that he said, he charged Solomon. The word charges to give orders, to, you know, uh, to lay a charge to them, to do something. But no, just in a fun way, but with authority. He told him, hey, Solomon, you have to do this and that, but he charged him. So his words, no, the words, the words of King David weren't just the words of an old man, but it was the words of a guy that loved God, uh, 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 the words of a man that, that experienced you know, a relationship with Christ. And he had a lot to say to King Solomon. And the question is, why this urgency and, and the words and the commands of the king? Because, you know, we might think that being a king is just a fun thing. You know, you have the control. You, know, you can change laws. You can... You can have a lot of stuff. You can have money. You can wear any clothes you want. You can execute whoever you want. I mean, that was like, people can think they having power is something fun. In reality, is something really hard because you have to, you know, to uh, be a good steward of the authority that you have. And the last words of the king um, to Solomon is because he was young. And what he was ready to face, it was... A lot of turmoil and a lot of responsibility. And what to us, you know, you might say you don't you don't have a kingdom, you don't have a, you know, uh, you know, a queen or a king, or you don't have to, to rule a country that is full of uh, of enemies and stuff like that. But the Lord has allowed us to be in different in different places in our lives, and we are in in our lives and in the world, and we are um, leaders at some point. Maybe you are a son, responsible to your dad and your mom. A daughter, the same thing. Husbands and fathers and mothers, students and workers. And, as some, and we are responsible for what we do with the leadership that God has given us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 to verse 16, is there something really interesting about the world that we're living on today and why we're supposed to take this charge, these commands To the heart, too. It says, Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you might become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I might rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labor in vain. So Paul said here in Philippians 2 that, we live in a midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Eh, crooked, I mean, I'm not sure a good definition for crooked, but you know, if you, we experience this as working at the church, you know, you go to Home Depot and buy a, a board and you're going to use it for a beautiful furniture. You leave it in the sun, you come the next day and it's, it's, it's so crooked that it's useless, right? And also it says that we live in a perverse generation. Perversion, it talks about uh, not only what it talks, uh, perversion always is, is linked to sexuality, but perverse is always when somebody makes something that is good to look bad and something that is bad to look good. And we live in a generation that is warped, that is crooked and perverse, and God says it through this in, in this study that we have to take, you know, to obey those words because we live in a crooked and perverse generation. I mean, we either walk with the flow or we are different than the people around us, the people that love sin and love the world, we need this. Char- we need th- these words too for our lives. Now, it looks immediately in verse in verse two. I go the way of all the earth. Be strong. I go the way of all the earth. David, before he starts hammering destruction, he reminds the, uh, Solomon that he's going the way of all the earth. What that means? I mean that he's going to die. He's going to experience what every man that has walked in the face of the earth will experience, which is death. Unless you get caught up in the rapture of the church, you won't experience death. But all of us, for sure, we have that assurance that we will die, because as you see me right here, as you see you guys, you're getting an old, and you one day will perish. Sorry if I offend you. No, That's kidding. Now, but see, we go. We, David reminds Solomon. I go the way of all the earth. We are no Superman. We are no eternal. We are no invincible. We need to be a reminder of how short is our life. No matter what we did, what we're doing, and what we're going to do, life is really short, super short. In Psalm 39, verse 4 and verse 5, uh, King David made a song, a psalm, where, uh, where he was asking the Lord to reveal him how his life how short is his life that he might change his ways. Psalm thirty nine, verse four says this, Lord make me know my end, and what is the measure of my days, that I might know how frail I am. Indeed, you have made my days as humbreds, and my age is as nothing before you. Certainly every man at his best state is vapor cell. So David like remind me, Lord. How, how short is my life? I don't care if I have studied this much, if I have this career, if I have this family, if I have accomplished this many things. Remind me, Lord, that my life is short. He says right there, certainly every man at his best state is vapor cela. Think about it. Think about it when you were receiving that trophy, when you were, I mean, you won something. Or when you get a raise at work, you know, get a, you, know you got more money when you, you, all your American dream got accomplished, you know, you have your suburban, whatever is you dream, you know, uh, you know and you three-car three garage or whatever, or in a big yard and good family and stuff like that, when, when our life is in, in our prime time, we need to remember, hey, we are just, but our time here is so short. And David is using his own life as an exhortation to King Solomon. They don't think the life, it's forever, you need to make sure that everybody die, and you need to live a life that relevant, a life that makes a difference for the glory of God in our lives because it's very short. You know, I'm not sure if I'm going to live tomorrow or if you're going to live tomorrow, but for sure it's worship God and honor God today. In James 4, verse 13 to verse 15, it's speaking about the foolish people, even Christians, I caught myself being like that too, James four, thirteen to fifteen it says this Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city, spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit. Whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. And instead you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. But now you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting boasting is evil. So sometimes we leave a, a, a mindset like that. I have tomorrow to do something. Sometimes we don't have it. How many times we say, I'll do it tomorrow, and, and end up being a big problem because you didn't do it today, or thinking, the, the, thinking oh, God will give me more time, or I will do it uh, some other day. And, and he says that when we think like that, it's foolishness and it's arrogance. When we think that we have our life in front of us, and we don't depend on the mercy of God. And David didn't want his life, his son's life, to be waste. And to waste the opportunity to lead the whole nation in God's way. See, King David led the nation of Israel super good. He failed a couple of times, you know. King Solomon led the nation really good. And at the end of his times, he ruined it too, you know. You, you, you might seen, uh you might read, you have probably have read, you know, the end of the life of Solomon. But he's calling him right now to take heed of the words of these instructions, you know. Because he, he doesn't want his life to be waste. And I don't think, I don't want my life to be waste, the life of my family, the life of the things that I do, and, and and believe it or not, I mean we do it all the time. And then he goes to in verse two, the first instruction, the first instruction that uh, King David gave to Solomon is this: Be a strong, and prove yourself a man. The first thing that he called him to be is to be a strong. To be a strong is an attribute. It's you know it means to strengthen, to prevail, to become strong, to be courageous and firm, grow firm. And be resolute. And listen, it's by the choice of the individual. See, I know there's some kids that are born with muscles, you know, by birth. You know, they, they, and they like to do things. They are strong by birth. But we're not talking about the being strong by birth. But being, We're talking about here to be strong in the Lord by choice. We have to, cho- to choose to be strong. What was in front of, you know, of King David, King Solomon, it was enemies everywhere, fear and everything, and it was kind of like, maybe, maybe those words that he heard from his dad just, so to speak, hit the spot of his fears and his problems that he was having. And I don't, I'm not sure what's in front of you as a young Christian, as an old Christian. I mean, anyways, we're Christians, no matter what is our age, right? But at different age, there come different uh, problems. For the young, peer pressure come early, even for the old people, too, I mean, for everyone. Tribulation and the battle between doing God's will and, and doing our will is always a huge battle. They, it is hard to always be, you know, fighting. But we have to. And and Paul the apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse fifty eight. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And we see right here in First Corinthians, Paul encouraging the believers to be as steadfast and to be as strong, always abounding and abounding is to always be close to the Lord. See, when we get outside of the Lord, there's always tragedy. there's always problem. Happened to me all the time. If we want to be unmovable, like David is talking to, telling Solomon, we need to be holding on the rock, which is Jesus Christ." How many times, I mean have we, we have thought? We have considered throwing the towel or probably say, Hey, I, I love Christ, but walking with Christ and always fighting this battle is really hard. I really want to stop. Too much problems, too much, too much responsibility. Even in marriage, sometimes we want to throw the towel. As a father, too, throw the towel because things are getting hard. It's hard to control, it's hard to always be there. In Psalm 27, verse 14, it says this. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I said on the Lord. So David, in in Psalm 27, it says, be of good courage. Yeah, always be thinking that God's going to do great things, but that's not enough, right? Always thinking, oh, God's going to do it. But wait on the Lord, waiting for his answer of this problem, waiting for our hearts to be changed. And he said, I say on the Lord, Wait. Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse nine to ten, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul. He's he, now the scripture said that he had a problem in his body. He had maybe some disease or something that he was struggling, you know, struggling with. But also, <clears throat> he was um, being persecuted by people. He was beat up wherever he went. He got thrown into jail because the faith. Because. Um, you know what he was preaching was preaching Jesus and Jesus crucified and resurrected from the dead, and people didn't want to hear that even in his times. And I believe in Second Corinthians chapter nine, verse nine to ten, that he probably he wanted to throw the towel and say, "I'm done with this." It's really hard to stay in, in in the way of the Lord. And the Lord Jesus Christ appeared to him or spoke to him in a dream and told him words that he needed to hear. Just like all of us, we need words from him. And I know that we might not see a Christ will appear to us in a dream, but we know that we have his words, and his words are enough. And in it, it is everything that we need. So God came to uh, the Apostle Paul while he's being beat up, while he, while he was suffering. And look 7 verse 9. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ might rest upon me, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches in needs and persecution and distress, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. So when there is nothing to go, when there is no other place to go, just to wait on the Lord and say, "My grace is sufficient." I wasn't going, it's not going to be easy by my grace to rest upon the free gift of grace salvation. That's where God wants us to be. Resting in the grace that we have obtained by trusting in the Lord, the free gift of salvation, resting that He will go before us. And when I'm the weakest person, I'm a strong why? Not because I work out or because I understand, but because I understand that I'm trusting in Him no matter what. When I'm waiting, I'm not taking a step forward or back you know, forward or backwards. I'm just waiting for His answer. And you're fully depending on the answer. And it says, "That's the place that God wants to be in His grace." And I, I see, I can see Solomon listening to these words and, and, and saying, "Yes, I need to be strong. This is, this is not going to be easy. I don't going to fool myself, myself, thinking that it's going to be all good. I need to trust. I need to wait on Him. I need to become strong. How do I become strong by abiding in the Lord? There is no other way that we might abound but in the Lord Jesus Christ." And the the second instruction the King Solomon gave to David, I mean the King, the King David gave to Solomon, we can see we can read it right here in verse 3. And keep the charge. Um no, and therefore and prove yourself a man. Then immediately after he told him to be strong, he said, prove yourself to be a man. And the and Hebrew, when you read this in Hebrew, uh, he says, and be a man, no, prove yourself to be a man. It was added just to kind of like to make sure that we understand what it's been, the words of David were trying to mean there, but pretty much it, David told him, be a man. <laughs> be a man is pretty much be a soldier, not a sissy, right? I mean, if you're going to go to uh, the army, you have to be a soldier. You have to be ready to suffer. And also he's, he's, he was saying, take the role of a man which is to lead a family, to work, to provide, and to love. We see right here uh, the, the word a man is the word for masculine. I mean, and masculine comes from the word man. It's the opposite to a woman. Think about in the generation that we were living on, as we were talking, we, that we live in a crooked and perverse generation. You know, um, they say that it's more than two genders. It's just not true. There's only it's only two genders, a male and female. When Christ was asked about marriage and about divorce, He answered to the people they asked in Matthew 19.4. And He answered and said to them, Have you not read that He who made them at the beginning made them male and female? So why this confusion in our generation of different genders such, and, and such things in our society? Promoting homosexuality and, and, and kindergarten all the way to college and nobody cares about it? It's because of rebellion. Of rebellion. The rebellion and the hearts of people and sin. When I look at you guys, I only see men and women. That's it. I don't care the color. I don't care where you come from. You know? You know, the attribute that you have is men and women. I told, uh, uh, when we talk about this, this, uh, this topic at youth group, I always tell them, I, I see you guys and I see Men, young boys and young women but pretty much you see men and women and I always repeat that and I want to repeat to them, to, to, to them this all the time because I have to repeat it to them because when you, they go outside of the church they tell them there are like 55 genders, it's not true <laughs> and it's funny but it's how pervert or gener- perverse our generation is in Romans 1:19 to verse 23, it speaks about the. You know, most of you guys know that that, that passage talks about the rebellious of the heart, the rebellious heart of men. I'm gonna read really quick. You can read up here on the screen. Romans 1, verse 19. Because what might be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse, because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into the image made like corruptible men, birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. And we see the rebellion of man it's not the obvious. It's the obvious. They, they, they understood that by creation, they know there's got to be a maker. But they were like, no, I don't think God created all this. That's crazy for someone to do something like this. But it was God, and it's recorded in the book of Genesis. It's got to be someone intelligent uh, behind this creation. Because I see you guys, and you guys are intelligent. You guys can think, see, eat, can love, even hate and hate and whatever. And you guys are designed also with, you guys are built, God built in and, in us a conscience to know what is right and what is wrong. If you go to the Sahara, I'm going to say Sahara because we always say the Amazon, but now let's go to the Sahara. If you go to the Sahara and then you go and steal a, a camel from a native, he's going to chase you until you give it back to them because sin it's still in a in right here, and it's still in a scene in the Sahara. And if you like the ice, and Russia too. And <laughs> all those things. So think about all these things. So God has built this in us, and people say, oh, it's just, we want to do what we want. Now, when we talk about sexuality, men can look at their own bodies, and women can look at their own body, and it's obvious that they are different. But why, why going against God's law? Because we want to do what we want. Like Adam and Eve, they wanted to do, they want to become like God. They bought into the lie, uh, the first lie in the garden, and they go, they went against God's, um, you know, command. See, it's so obvious, guys. that two men cannot have a family, right? Two men cannot have a baby. Two women, two, two, two women cannot have a baby. Doesn't matter if they adopt or not. That's not natural, right? Obviously. But people go against the obvious. A step on what they know that is true, and go for the lie, whatever pleases their hearts and their their feelings. I know we live it as I was saying, we live in a generation where homosexuality is being seen as something acceptable. They might be acceptable for the people, but for men, but for God, no, he said it, that is there is iniquity. We know that as a church, we don't hate uh, homosexual, uh, the homosexuals. We, I mean, we, I, I can say we hate the sin just as we hate stealing and adultery, right? And I know that God wants to forgive them. If you're here... I mean, praise God, that I know all of you guys, but if you're here and you are taking, partaking in that lifestyle and you haven't repented, God is telling you today that He want to forgive you. He want to cleanse you of your sin. He want to give you a new nature, the nature that God intended for you from the beginning, to have a right relationship with God, that you, have, that you don't have to find the fulfillment and sexuality against God's law. And if you're a Christian have given the life to the Lord. You struggle with that. The Bible says this also that we have to fight. They have to fight that unnatural uh, desires because they are not of the Lord. With all the said, guys, I mean, we live in this crooked generation, and we need to be praying for people like that, that God will deliver them because they they are in bondage just like me and you were in bondage in different kinds of sins. Also, he said to be, a, uh, to be a man. And I know that if you're a, a woman right here, you might say, well, this, is, this message is not for me because I know from the beginning, from the book of Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, he created them with a purpose and with a, and with a very intentional um, and um, precise way that they were supposed to walk. They told him hey, you can eat from every tree of the garden and except from the one in the middle. It was, uh, it was a very... Uh, um, Order, it was easy to understand. And we see that the first man, Adam, Adam and Eve, they represent humanity, the world, uh, the, the first man in the, in the, in, in, in the Bible, they disobey God and they change that image that God gave them. God gave them the image of dependency on the Lord through relationship with God and full communion with Him. And they change it for the lie of the devil. Remember, the devil told them. If you eat from this tree, from this fruit, from this tree, you're going to become God. You're going to be like him in the sense of you will be like him, not like a copy, but be him. That way you don't need him. And uh, Adam and Eve took of that, that fruit and they become, became sinners. They understood that they, were, that they were naked. And they changed the image of a man, that God wanted to be the image of a woman that God wants you to be for the lie. Of the devil. See, as Christians and as, as people in the world, we are, we are striving for an image. You're trying to live and become something. No, I'm, I don't know what it is. Some people are trying to achieve and, uh, different things, and the main goal in their lives is just to, to be without boundaries. Some people just want to be their own gods in their own lives. That's the, the, the image they want to pursue. Sin without boundaries and stuff like that. And the world sell, sells this super good on TV, right? They sell you the image of living without Christ, and it feels good, and there's no consequence. And it's good to the eye, and we want that because that's our, 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 our sinful desire, desire and a sinful nature. But uh, the Bible says that's not the image that God created for people. Adam and Eve, they were without sin, they have perfect communion with God. They depend on the Lord. And they were good. And, and, and we see in Romans 8, guys, I'm going to share um, the scripture in Romans 8, verse 29, it speak about the believers and what the Lord want them to become like or to be like. It says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. He said that God also predestined us to be conformed. To be conform is to be like. Not that we want to be God, but we want to be at the image of the Son of God. So we cannot scratch off Adam, because Adam didn't do good. Now we put Christ, and then that's the image that we follow. Christ was all forgiven, all loving, all just, speak the truth, and we want to be like Him. That's the image that we're supposed to be following. So when uh, Solomon received instruction to be a man, even deeper is to, to strive for the image of a man that God lay in the beginning for man. To depend on the Lord, to have a full communion with the Lord, and to have the fulfillment in Christ. See, when we become believers, God gives us new identity. We are a new creation. And God doesn't want us to strive to be like what we were, but what is in front of us, which is Christ. We're going to see him one day. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 to verse 10, it speak about something really interesting in the life of the Apostle Paul because the Apostle Paul, he used to um, be sincere in his faith. He used to believe in the Old Testament that the Messiah was going to come, but he did not believe that Christ was the Messiah. So when the Christians were following Christ, he's like, uh-uh, I'm going to put you in jail because you guys are believing in the wrong Messiah. So he went, and grabbed people by the hair, and threw them in jail and the Bible said that uh, he gave the okay for some people to kill Christians. And he was a murderer. He was uh, a guy that used his power uh, to uh, imprison Christians and kill them. Since, uh, with sincerity, he was trying to please God. But he was wrong. God appeared to him in the way to Damascus, changed his life. And then after that, he, he understood that Christ was the Messiah, and then he started following him. And Lewis says what he said in Philippians chapter 3, Maybe at the end of his life, look what he says. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also counted all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and counted them as rubbish, that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from, from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. So the Apostle Paul looked back at his life and he's like, that was the image I was pursuing, trying to find grace in my own, trying to be good and earn my way to heaven. But he says right there in verse 9, I want to be found knowing my own righteousness, but in that one that is, the righteousness that is found in Christ. That's what he was resting and what he was pursuing, to be found. Always resting in the work of the cross as a man. And also, in verse 10, that I might know Him. Everything that I earn, it counts like nothing. I don't care how sincere it was. It leads them to nothing. I mean, if you're here, if you're pursuing life and you don't know the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're sincerely, you know, sincerely, you're a good worker and you're, you have good work ethics, but you don't have the Lord in your life, you might be a good worker and you might die as a good worker. It's a good dad, a good dad, and a good mom. But if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, you're not going to heaven. And God wants you to be forgiven. That's where you want to be found. That's the image that God is offering to to the world today. Man, that live for what is true and for what is worth it, which is God, our maker, and the one that bleed and bled for us and the cross. Now, Be the woman that God wants us to be. I mean, you guys be the woman that God wants you to be, and be the man that God wants you to be. If we're close to the Lord, we will have life. If we're outside of the Lord, it's gonna be futility and emptiness, for sure. I can raise my hand. I can say that I have experienced that emptiness when I kind of walk and walk in a different way. The third instruction we can see. It in, uh, we can read in verse three. Uh, and keep the charge of the Lord your God. And keep the charge of the Lord your God. And right here we see, uh, David said, and keep the charge of the Lord. Listen, I might be speaking, but it's the Lord. It's the charge of Him. Take heed of that. Some people would say it's with the, with the rubber meets the road. That's when it's the hardest thing when you have to put um, um, and, and practice what you learn. To keep is a verb or action is to keep it's to guard, it's to observe, it's to give heed. It's the Lord's commands. And James 1, to 23 says this, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And what charge? We're children of, of the Lord as believers, and we're representing the Lord every day. Say, so keep the charge. It comes from the Lord, the one that saved you. Keep it. Keep it. Work on it. Labor on this. Labor on the things that God has called you to do. For destruction. He said, uh, and the for destruction is to walk in his ways. It's the general way of walking guys. I mean, it's the general will of God to walk and the general will that God has called us to walk. Praying, reading, coming to church, sharing the, good, the, 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 the word of God with others. Proverbs 14, verse 12, See, we see there is a different way that is kind of the, the world tells us that it's a different way, but there is not. It's a, a Proverbs 14, verse 12, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Sometimes we obey um, what the world tells us. Sometimes we obey what our hearts tell us in situations where we have to take decisions, godly decisions and wicked decisions. In Jeremiah 17, 17, it says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? See, um, just really quick. <clears throat> when you think about the more deceitful and desperately animal in the world, you might think about, you might have one in your mind right now, maybe a snake, right? But I know that one of the, the hardest ones, the deceitful and desperately wicked animal is the lion, you know? You say, why the lion? They hide behind a bush to eat the little, you know? You know, the little uh, fluffy bunny. They, they, they like to do stuff, and they're desperately looking how to hurt and eat. And they don't care if, if a man walks in the safari and gets us out of the car. and the, the lion can eat the, the person because they don't care. But our heart's more desperate than a lion. or heart which is tainted, but sin wants to deceive us. To take the easy route out instead of the way of the Lord. The narrow road. In Matthew 7 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. It's talking about salvation, too. Christ is the way to heaven. Living for Christ is the only way to walk in this life, pleasing the Lord. The fifth instruction, guys, the, uh, King, the King, King David said, To keep his statues. This is pretty cool because sometimes when we read the statutes, commandments, and, and stuff like that, we might say, "What? it seems like it's the same thing as the word. But as I was studying this passage, I know that the statutes right here, it means the ordinances, the laws, the customs that God gave to the people of Israel and how the people of Israel, they were supposed to come to the temple with the goat or with the lamb and, and worship him. Also, he gave them, uh, God gave to the people of Israel, um, different uh, seasons and the year where they, they were supposed to come and, dif- and celebrate different festivities. And those in the scripture are the ordinances of God. That's the way the people approach God. In Leviticus 18, verse 2 to 4, it says something about this, that we learned right here, this word, destruction. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, I am the Lord your God. According to the, the doings of the land of Egypt, where you dwell, you shall not do. According to the doings of the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you, you shall not do, nor shall you walk in the ordinances. You shall observe my judgments and keep my ordinances to walk in them. I am the Lord your God. So God told the people of Israel, when you enter, you, I know you came out, out of Egypt, don't, do, don't worship the Lord how they used to worship over there. They used to worship in the wrong way. Don't worship me <clears throat> and don't use the same techniques as That they're gonna be using in Canaan. And as Christians, guys, I know that God doesn't want us to adopt different customs of different religions in the world. There are different religions in the world that they think that they can approach God through these. You might hear about yoga, or meditation, or some kind of discipline, or repetition, or some kind of experiences. God says, you know, that we cannot mix those techniques with the gospel, with, with, with uh, the worship of the true God. Jesus Christ in John 4, verse 23 says, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is the Spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in Spirit and truth. It must line up. You know, worship always has to line up with truth. You cannot have, hey, I'm worshiping the Lord, and laughing like a dog over here, that doesn't work. Oh, when you're worshiping and feathers are coming down and say, oh, there are angels flying around us. That's not biblical because it doesn't match with the scripture. Or oh, there is glitter coming down. Oh, somebody's sweeping the streets made of gold from heaven. That's not of the Lord. So you see all these things, you always have to uh, match them with the scripture. If it doesn't match the gospel, the biblical theology, you know, we will never accept it or mix them. The true worship of the Lord. Never separates from truth. Never separates from truth. I always think about the churches that do the feathers, right? I mean, that's crazy stuff. There's churches in California that do feathers. I don't know if they send a youth, a, youth, a, youth, a young guy to put feathers in the vent or something. But they say that the angels are dropping the feathers. But think about this. What kind of weak, uh, weak angels that are losing feathers? I thought they were mighty, you know? <laughs> think about those things. Or... I just, it's a crazy, crazy thing that people believe and they believe it because it sounds good because it matched kind of like something that they heard in a different nation. And God said, keep the ordinances, Solomon. You have to keep the way that I want you to worship the Lord. Keep it. Build a temple. Bring sacrifice to the Lord because the Messiah is coming. And we remember he did it. He built a temple. We almost done six destruction. His commandments. He said, keep his commandments. We, we know that they, there's, uh, we have the Ten Commandments, and the Ten Commandments are, you know, are, are how we are supposed to worship the Lord and conduct before God, but also how we are supposed to behave in front of man. You shall not kill, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal. But the first you know, three is, is how we view God. You shall not make images and worship them. You shall only have one God and do not take the Lord of the name in vain. And we see all these commandments, but none of these commandments will save you. Save you. I think when David is telling King Solomon to keep the commands, I'm not saying that are wrong. wrong. I mean, I'm telling you right now, we know that Christ fulfilled the law. It's not, I'm not saying that it's bad to, to follow the Ten Commandments, but you need to understand that the Ten Commandments doesn't save you. In Galatians 3:24 it says this, Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. The law, the Ten Commandments were uh, the law that when you read it and that you were compared with the law, you were like, oh, I need a Savior. Pretty much like that. It's kind of like a teacher that you, when you do bad, give you a spanking, go to your mom and your dad. You know, it's very much like that. The teacher cannot change you, but your dad can change you. So, but we see it's all messed up in our society. Teachers want to be the changers. We can, you know. It's in the family. It's through the Word of God. So, I think when we keep the commandments, God, always, we're going to always be reminded that we, need, that we need the Savior. It's a good thing. The seventh instruction, his judgment. Keep his judgment. It's a killer thing right here. To keep his judgment is um, to, give, uh, you know, to give justice to others according to how God deals with the, the people instead of abusing or doing an injustice to others. Think about this, guys. God wants us to judge and to give justice, how he judged us. For example, the Lord judgment and in, in Psalm 119 verse 9 says this: "The fear of the Lord is clean and enduring forever. The judgment of the Lord are true and righteous, righteous altogether." So when God judges nations, when God judges nations and people, He doesn't do it because He's mean and He has the power to step on people. No, He's loving. He has given His only Son to save us. He has given time. After time, day after day, they will repent, giving them uh, signs and prophecies being fulfilled in front of their eyes. But they ignore it. So when God judged, he's not judging because he's mean. He's judging in the right way. In Leviticus 19, verse 15, God told the people to judge right, right, righteously. He said, you shall do no, no injustice in judgment. You shall not be partial to the poor, nor honor the person of the mighty and righteousness, and you shall judge your neighbor. So if a, a rich people will come to the, to the court, you know, King Solomon was supposed to give judgment the way it is. If you stole a donkey, pay it. If your son did something, chastise him. David said, please, don't show partiality because that's a problem. Proverbs 17, 23 says, a wicked man accepts a bribe behind the back to pervert the way of justice. If you're one of those people that like to bribe People and, and get your way by bribing, you're perverting the, just, the justice. When you're supposed to be disciplined and you let, you let things go because you just don't want to deal with that, that's injustice. says in Proverbs 16 8, we're almost done. Better is a little with righteousness than a vast revenue with, without injustice. So, what is Luke said right there? Better is a little with righteousness. Better is to have a little bit. I mean, I have my, my house. I have my family. I have, you know, bank account. I, I don't have a lot, but I know that God is with me, and he gave me just enough what I have. I don't have to bribe. I don't have to steal. I don't have to pervert, uh, you know, uh, my, my, the justice. I don't have to lie in my work. God has given me enough. Can you imagine if you have everything you have, and you're not being just? God doesn't like that. And ultimately, Ephesians 4 31 to 32, it says this Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgive you. And I, we see right here that God forgives us of our sins, right? Completely, to the uttermost. And God says, Forgive others, just as Christ forgives us. Verse uh, 8. I mean, excuse me, The ate destruction. We're almost done. And his testimonies and keep his testimonies. Testimonies is the witness that they have that God loves them. We know that the Ark of the Covenant and the temple called the Ark of the Testimony. Inside of that, that, tabernacle, of that Ark was, you know, um, the manna and many things that, re, that show that God loved the children of Israel and God communicated with them. That was the testimony that God loves them. The proof that God was there. And we have the proof of the gospel. that God loves us, guys. God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. We cannot compromise that at all. That's how He showed Himself to be that He loves us, and we should respect that no matter what. Let's. Um, we're gonna finish, guys, and uh, the worship team is gonna come and pray and uh, sing the last song. But I wanna just share what's in Philippians chapter two, verse twelve. It says this: Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only. But now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Not only he give you the desire to walk in his commands, to walk in his ways, to be just, to be a man and a woman of God. He not only give you the will, but also He give you the to do. He will give you that the desire, but he will give you the tools to do it. So I know it's a hard task that we have over here, but I know that if the Lord is with us, we abound in his grace, he will help us in these things. And he will because he's a good and awesome God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, God, for this day. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for just um, speaking to our hearts, Lord God. We need these instructions, God, in, in our lives, God. We, we want to be found, God, in your righteousness, not in our own righteousness, God. Please help us, God, to glorify you, God. Please help us, God, just to give you glory in our lives. God, don't let us waste our life, Lord God, and um, help us to lead our family, our wives, our children, God, the churches, and, and our church and our ministries, God, and your ways, Lord God, that you might be glorified, God, that people might know that there is a God that loves them in this crooked and perverse generation. Father, be blessed and be lifted up, God. We thank you and we love you, God, in Jesus' name, amen.
1: I poured out for all mankind. God's only Son, perfect and spotless One. He never said, but suffered as if He.
0: Uh, if you need prayer um, you can come over here and there's going to be some prayer counselors they're going to come over here if you need prayer for something or, or if you want to know more about God you can come over here in the front thank you God bless you